Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading. I'm Caroline Stephen. It's great to have you company. This week we take a look at the markets around the world with Chris Tate. We discuss Greece and the impending Brexit from the Eurozone. The end of the market boom in China. What the Nikkei and Japan are doing. And we take a look at the Australian market to see what is trending right now. We also hear from Joe Popper, a 2009 mentoree, in a cafe conversation where we hear Louise Bedford describe Joe as one persistent mongrel who refuses to take no for an answer. Joe shares his trading journey and what he thinks has made him successful in the markets. All of this is coming up right up after the break. Chris State, hello and welcome to Talking Trading. Hi, Caroline. How did the US market close last week? Uh, pretty much the same way they ended the week, and that is lacklustre, dull, boring, and with nothing of interest to say for themselves whatsoever. <laughs> and how did that lacklustre dullness rub off onto the Australian market? We were, think of it this way, in much the same way as a younger sibling attempts to imitate their older siblings. We were dull and boring as well, but we have been caught up a little bit in the shockwave of the fallout from China. Let's talk about the fallout from China. Why has it been a fallout? There's a few things at play here. The first is that people are always surprised that booms end in a bust, and that that always seems to surprise me that they're surprised. Uh, When you have rampant runaway markets like we've had in China, China's been the best performing market of the year in terms of equity markets. It gained, year to date, it's gained something like 40%, which is a remarkable performance and is clearly unsustainable. They also had a structural problem. And the structural problem is that when you get involved in this sort of boom, this sort of mania, you get large numbers of accounts being opened. You get large numbers of accounts being opened with leveraged funds. So people borrowing money to invest. The moment you begin to get a pullback of any note, and the Chinese markets pulled back, what, 7% on Friday alone, you begin to get forced selling. Forced selling makes the pullback worse because you have people desperate to get out of positions for which they borrowed money to pay for. So you get this perpetual scramble that feeds upon itself. So you can't have markets that are completely unsustainable. If you look at them on a chart, they don't start bottom left-hand corner and in top right-hand corner in a linear fashion. They don't climb like the space shuttle. And uh, the Chinese markets have been climbing like the space shuttle. And that's, that's clearly unsustainable. You can't do that for an extended period of time. So pullbacks are inevitable. And it's a little bit like every other boom. Everyone is surprised when booms end, which surprises me. But booms always end. 
and they all they never end gracefully and gently they always end dramatically because you get this swing in emotion markets are to some degree you can think of them as being bipolar with very little middle ground so they swing from being a manic to dropping into panic very very quickly and there's very little transition time between the two and this is sort of what you're seeing in China the money was there to be made when the money was there to be made and i have to admit that china has been the most profitable position i've had this year but that's now ended with the compilation of the msci shares the market was touted to be going up and instead it went the other way it's funny how that works that's because markets are forward pricing instruments markets know in advance what's happening one of the things that catches people if you look at profit announcements let's think of it in terms of the psychology of that people are always surprised that when a company comes out let's think of one of our major banks comes out announces an enormous increase in profit the shares go down what people don't understand is the market already knows that the market has already built that in markets forward price they're forward pricing instruments they don't price on what they hear today they're pricing on their perceptions of the next 6 12 18 months so there's nothing very few things catch the market unawares you'll have you know extraordinary events like 9/11 that caught the market completely unawares because it's a geopolitical event but in terms of structural changes within markets the market's very well informed about that price tends to know virtually everything this is why the narrative of valuations is nonsense because what a company is worth is what it's worth on the market your narrative is meaningless to the market let's swing over to japan and the nikkei if you weren't in the nikkei is it still a buy I've actually just been stopped out of my long position the Nikkei as we're speaking. So in the short term the answer will be no. I still do have a long my weekly equity system still does have a long ETF position in Japan. But at the way it's responding to what else is happening in Asia, it will probably get bounced out sometime this week as well. So it's catching like wildfire. Yes. Let's swing over to Europe and the Grexit. How's that uh, affecting the market? <laughs> it, uh, okay, what can, what can one say about Greece? Again, we're caught in a little bit of a problem with recency bias. There's, there's a few things to know about Greece. The first is Greece should never have been in the EU. It's a little bit like putting Philip Island in the EU. What's your major export? Well, we don't have anything, but we have penguins and Japanese tourists. That's good enough to join the EU for us. So Greece should never have been in there. You should never. let a country into an organized structural arrangement where their national sports are corruption and tax evasion and where, being on the pension <laughs> and being on the pension running a close third you've actually got to look at the history of Greece the greeks invented modern finance by definition they also therefore invented the financial crisis there are only two countries in the world that had defaulted more on debt than the greeks and that from memory is honduras and ecuador You know you're not doing very very well when you're competing with two South American countries for who is the most incompetent money manager going around. The Greeks have defaulted on their loans in 1826, 1843, 1860, 1894, and again in 1932. So they have a pretty good track record of being crap at managing money. And if you look at even if you look back at uh, Greek history anybody who has studied Greek history will tell you that even the Greek city states would not lend to one another because they knew they were never going to get their money back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So this should not be a surprise to anybody. So from my perspective any reaction we're getting is an overreaction 
as markets tend to do. Markets tend to overreact. And I'm quite certain that the sensible people in Europe, to wit the Germans, actually have a plan for the Greek exit. Should they be kicked out of the euro? Oh, it, think of it this way. I Last, what, two years ago, when Greece began to come apart at the seams, I had a driver bringing me back from the airport after a day of travelling. And it was midnight, and for some reason, drivers want to talk more the later it gets, which annoys the living daylights out of me. And he said, can you guess where I'm from? And I said, well, judging by the sound of you, I'm guessing you're from somewhere in the Mediterranean. And he said, yes, I'm Greek. And I said, well, that's good for you, isn't it? And he said to me, what do you think about the Greek crisis? And I said, look, not not much. And he said, I have a theory. And I said, I do tell, because you're going to tell me anyway, aren't you? And he said, well, my theory is that the Germans wanted Greece during the Second World War but couldn't hold on to it, and this is their chance to get it back. And he said to me, what do you think of that theory? And I said, you sure it's not just because you're all lazy bastards who don't want to work, don't want to pay tax, but want to retire at 55 on a full pension? It was a very quick and quiet trip home after that. The problem that Greece has is structural. It is simply a small sunny spot in the Mediterranean and that's it. It's a place where fat Germans go to holiday and get sunburnt. It has nothing else to offer whatsoever. It's poorly run, it's poorly managed. Tax evasion is the major sport. And until you get over those structural changes and you get a change in attitude among both Greek politicians and Greeks themselves, it remains a place where you go and sit on the beach. And and that's it. If Greece does exit the Eurozone, do you see the Eurozone falling apart from that point on? (sighs) Look, that's hard to say. And I'm not a geopolitical expert by any stretch of the imagination. I I would actually find that that's difficult to conceive of, that such a small piece falling off makes the wheels fall off the entire thing, simply because the EU in and of itself has a great deal of momentum. And let's, let's put aside the mad poms who want to withdraw from the EU because they still think they have an empire not realising that Britain is now a third-rate power and as a second-rate power within Europe itself, it's difficult to conceive that many countries need the EU more than the reciprocal. Europe needs Germany as its powerhouse. It just does because they seem to be the only sensible bunch of bastards there at present. Everybody else seems to be slightly insane. And they actually need the strength of the German economy to keep them going. Of course, you can pull it all apart and see how you go, but then they're back to the problems they had before. What do you do with a, with a, a gaggle of a dozen or so nations, each, each with different currencies, different economic policies, different trade agreements? How do you manage that as an entity? It would be a little bit like here in Australia, every state having their own currency, having their own trade agreements, having their own monetary policy, having their own ideas about how to run things. We thought that was a stupid idea, you know, 115 years ago and did away with it. And you might find the same is true in Europe. Let's come to Australia now. In our markets, are we really in a bear market or are we just range trading? Uh, We're in some awful degree of slop. Our market's only advanced, what, is it two and a bit percent this year? Which which is a meaningless gain. There, There is no energy or impetus whatsoever. And part of the problem, again is a structural issue within markets themselves. Unfortunately, here in Australia, if you look at the all-ordinaries, some 50% of stocks are below 
a very long-term moving average. And that percentage increases as you shorten the time frame. So there's simply not enough stocks doing the heavy lifting. And this is what you would expect. There's not enough stocks going up. And we have this awful situation where we just continue to go sideways. Mm. It's neither bear nor bull. It is somewhere stuck in this sort of Sargasso Sea of no movement whatsoever. All right, let's look at what did move. Patterns that were jumping out from the charts this week. Okay, positive things. Things you can actually trade. Uh, At present, I'm looking at weakness in the Aussie dollar, particularly the Aussie Canadian, where if we get a drop below about 94, that to me is a short signal. The Aussie yen is generating a setup around the 94.7 mark. Aussie US has an interim low this year about 75.2 and a drop through there will trigger new shorts. In terms of commodities, we're seeing an extension of the upward move in you know, cocoa, soy, meal, cotton and wheat. Uh, corn had been looking promising, but oh, something went wrong. Uh, to use a terrible pun, the corn went pop. And my my ever-faithful favourite, which I, I really shouldn't have faithful favourites, uh, lean hogs continues to fall. There's just something romantic about trading lean hogs for some reason. It's, <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of the old days. What about the metals in the energy sector? Base metals continue to be a dud, mm. and that's part of the problem we have here. Base metals are rubbish. Precious metals are rubbish. Gold and silver still continue to move sideways. Platinum and palladium are showing weakness mm. and are very weak at present. So there's nothing to be gained from them. The energy sector had a small counter-trend bounce and it was very, very small and lasted about four and a half minutes and then went nowhere. And so that that is also problematic. And this sometimes happens. You get an alignment sometimes in markets where all asset prices just stall and sometimes it just happens. And it is, to me, completely coincidental that every now and again all the ducks line up and this is what happens, which is why my short-term trading portfolio has oriented itself towards soft commodities and the weekly portfolio is not taking any new equity signals and is actually looking at shorting a few equities as they come up. All right, opportunities that you are looking at this week. I think you might have just answered that question, but can you elaborate a little bit further? Uh, uh, look, it's, it comes back to this notion of the need for diversification. And unfortunately, many people think diversification is simply you buy things with different names. That's not how it works. You need to look at different markets, which means you actually need to learn about currency trading and you actually need to learn about commodity trading. Because when equities stall, as they have here in Australia for five years, you've got five years to work on your golf game. Now, your golf game might get really good, but your trading goes to shit because you can only get from the market what it is willing to give. And if there are no powerful trends there within equities they're just not there which is why people have shifted their focus to fx and and the joy about fx is its bi-directional nature it's just as easy to go long as it is short we've got these short positions opening up in the aussie the same true with commodities you can go long and short with commodities quite easily and so you need to expand your horizons You, you need to change your universe advice to traders this week Laugh, giggle and point at the Greeks and watch out for the Chinese landing on your head. Christy, thank you for your time. Thanks, Caroline. Hi, 
Hi, it's Amanda Gore and I'm a speaker and author of Joy is an Inside Job and I listen to Talking Trading. Louise Bedford here. I have a lovely cafe conversation for you today. I've got Joe Papa with me. He's one of our traders who did the mentor program in 2009 and Chris Tate. Now, I have entitled this episode refuse to take no for an answer because joe you are one persistent mongrel i love the fact that you're so persistent tell us about your views about the mentor program what did you like best it's the support um, and it's well-rounded it's not just a black box that's given to you you have to work at it you develop your own system i think it covers such a broad range of areas of trading that you can feel confident when you finish that you can trade pretty much any market at any time frame. That's great. And one of the things that traders measure their results against, Chris, is we use the term R. Could you please describe for the listeners of Talking Trading how R works, and then we'll talk about some of Joe's results. Okay, in 30 words or less. R simply refers to your risk value. So in any given trade, you have a set risk amount. Let's say it's $1,000. What you then do when you get a result from your trade is you compare the profit or loss from that trade to that R value. So if you're risking one, make five, your R is five. And it's simply an easy, sort of ready reckoner. It's It's a mechanism of reducing your returns to easy, comparable numbers. And Joe, you've had some fantastic results. I can see your chart here. Could you describe what you're having a look at right there on the table? Uh, so I've got a printout of uh, my RVs for all my trades. I think the big one was quite a few uh, American stocks that were sold off. So it must be a cluster of positive R's uh, with a nice big spike of about 32R. 32R, that is fantastic. So you risk, let's put it into terms that people can relate to, you risk, say, $1,000 and then you got 32 times $1,000 back out of that trade. That's correct. That's terrific. And that's what I love about people trading more than just one market. Do you feel that this attitude of not taking the first knock back as being genuine and you just continuing to persist, has that helped you as a trader? Oh, absolutely, because you know, just looking at my chart, the last, last time we sat down for coffee, I was showing you the chart and there was a string of about 13 losses in a row. But Chris pretty much said, no, you're on the right track. So I think with a bit of belief and... Just, I suppose being like a woodpecker, you just keep at it. If you, if you just give up on the first loss, you're not going to get anywhere in life. You, you have to you have to apply yourself and um, just be dogged, absolutely, with everything. And then success comes. It comes. You, you've got to be patient. It's, it's not FedEx. It's not going to happen overnight. But persist and reap the rewards. And Joe, you're in a profession that a lot of people would envy. You are in a professional capacity and a lot of people know that in professional capacities, hey, you can probably call your own shots to some extent. What made you look at trading as an alternative? It had been something that always interested me. I think in the current climate with the number of dentists graduating and they're estimating that uh, there could be about 1,500 dentists who are unemployed at the current stage in Australia. There's a lot of competition, there's a lot of dentists doing their own orthodontics. So I think it's a bit of forward planning and thinking of the future that uh, I need an end game. I can't 
just accept, well, that's it, and then have nothing to fall back onto. So if things got really bad, I knew, well, okay, I can, I can trade. At least I've got something that I, I can make money with in another fashion. Time. Well, Joe, congratulations on your results. I've just Thank loved you. seeing you grow throughout the mentor program. As you know, probably our only friends to come through the mentor program. (laughs) (laughs) Or if we've known them before, they've tended to do the mentor program. So having you in our lives means a lot to us, Joe. And we're looking forward to seeing you again over the years and seeing even more successes come your way. Thank you. Thank you both for doing the mentor program and I'm just so glad that I did it. And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week for a fantastic interview with resilience coach Michael Lissenblack on resilience, the currency of success. I'm Caroline Stephen. On behalf of the team, thanks for your company. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.